Welcome back to the Walk the Word podcast with me, Pastor James, coming out of Sar Fellowship in the Kingdom of Bahrain. We are walking through God's Word one chapter a week, and today we get to Exodus chapter 4. As with every week, if you've not read Exodus chapter 4 in the recent past, go ahead, press pause, read it, and then we'll come back together as we seek to know and grow in God's Word. So Exodus 4 picks up right where Exodus 3 left off. Moses is having this wonderful interaction with God. And then he says, Behold, they're not going to believe me. They will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. So Moses is having a bit of self-doubt here about, Look, am I the right guy for you to send back to Egypt to liberate your people? They're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to me. They're going to accuse me of of making all this up. They're going to say, you know, God didn't appear to you. And then we see in verse 2, the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? And Moses says, a staff. And God says, throw it on the ground. So Moses throws it on the ground and it becomes a serpent. Moses ran away from it, as is quite natural. And then the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail, a very dangerous thing to do. And uh, Moses does it, and it becomes a staff in his hand again. And God says, look, um, you're going to do this. You can, you can do this stuff so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And if this wasn't enough for Moses... We see in verse 6, again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And you've got to remember that this was written a few thousand years ago now. So what we would term leprosy, a very particular skin disease. Um, At the time, the term leprosy was used to describe all manner of, of skin diseases It was a very general term. It was very prevalent uh, in Egypt, and it was viewed as being incurable. So if you were viewed as having leprosy, it was a a very, very big deal. So God says, put your hand inside your cloak. He pulls it out. It's leprous like snow. And then in verse 7, God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put it back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Now again, at the time, this was viewed as a very, very serious, incurable skin disease. So for Moses to demonstrate that God has the power over something that's viewed as unconquerable, something like leprosy, would testify to the people watching that, All right, this is real. This is the God of our fathers. This is the one true God. This is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And then we get a third verification, a third sign. In verse 8, we see that if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, You shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Now again, the Nile in Egypt at the time was seen as the source of life and prosperity, and everything flowed from the Nile, so to speak. So again, 
for Moses to show the people that God has the power over what the Egyptians see as all-powerful would have testified and verified just how powerful and sovereign and amazing the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob uh, really was. So Moses sees this, he hears this, and then he says in verse 10, My Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Now Stephen says in Acts chapter 7 that Moses was, was kind of powerful. Moses was, um, you know, Moses could speak when he needed uh, when he needed to speak. Uh, Acts 7.22 says, Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in his words and deeds. So we've got to logically conclude here that he's being very, very modest. He's saying, look, I understand what you're asking of me. I understand that you've verified to me and you will verify before the people who you are and how great you are, but... I don't feel like I'm a particularly good spokesperson for you because in my own mind, I'm slow of speech and tongue. And then God answers him with a series of kind of rhetorical questions. He says, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And really that should have been the end of it, shouldn't it? Look, the signs are great. I understand who you are. The people are going to understand and accept who you are. But I just don't feel like I'm a great spokesperson for you. I don't feel like I'm very eloquent or very powerful in speech. God says, don't worry. I'll take care of it. And then Moses says in verse 13, my Lord, please send someone else. Which is kind of a slap in the face, isn't it? Signs the power to speak, the promise that God's going to go with him. Therefore go and I will be with you. I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And he says, look, let's just get somebody else. And we see that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. He's angry at the disobedience. He's laid it out like before Moses, given Moses a promise. And Moses has pretty much turned around and said, yeah, let's... Um, Let's get somebody else. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Aaron, your brother, the Levite, I know he can speak well. He's going to come out to meet you, and when he does, he'll be glad, he'll be happy. You shall speak to him, put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth, and with his mouth, and I'll teach you both what to do. So Moses kind of settles for this situation. Well, settles. Moses kind of accepts this situation where God says, to Moses, what's going to happen? Moses says to Aaron, and Aaron becomes the, the, the mouthpiece, so to speak. So God says to him, he shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Now, that's this isn't a bit of you know deification. Moses is not trying to be God. Uh, he's, it's this role of God will tell Moses what to say. Moses tells Aaron what to say. Aaron's the mouthpiece. And he says, look, take, take your staff. Take in your hand the staff, which you're going to do with these signs, to prove, to verify 
what Aaron's saying. So Moses goes back to Jethro and says, look, please uh, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they're still alive. Jethro says, sure, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So a bit of assurance that you can, you can go back safely now. So Moses takes his wife and sons. She's now plural. He's obviously had another son uh, in the time being. We said, didn't we, uh, back in chapter 2, uh, that uh, Moses was content to dwell with the men. Jethro he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. Since then, they've had another little boy, and uh, off they go back to Egypt, and Moses takes the staff of God in his hand. So God says, take your staff, and it's now been referred to as the staff of God. And then there's this wonderful little paragraph between verses 21 and 23. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So Pharaoh is getting the, the, the benefit here, the tremendous benefit of being told the worst first. So look, if you don't let them go, ultimately this is what's going to happen. You're all, you're, your firstborn son, firstborn sons were prized in this culture of the day. They were seen as very, very special in Egypt at the time. So he's told right off the bat, do all the stuff, Moses is told, do all the stuff that I'm giving you the power to do. Speak to Pharaoh and tell him, look, let my firstborn son go or I'm going to take yours. And then after this great prophetic, honest, open, transparent passage, verses 20 and 23, the next little paragraph in your Bible, verses 24, 25, 26, is so difficult, so confusing. So they're at a lodging place on the way, long journey, got to stay somewhere overnight. And we see that Moses fell gravely ill. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. The majority of commentaries and scholars and, and stuff that you read about this will say that Moses got very, very ill. The Lord sought to put him to death. That's what we're talking about there. Then Zipporah took a flint. This is his wife. Took a flint, very sharp stone, cut off her son's foreskin. Doesn't say which one, firstborn, secondborn, and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. That's God let Moses alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. There's not much context for this. There's not much explanation for this. We can piece things together and conclude that Moses had not circumcised is uh, either one or both of his sons. Genesis 17.10 says, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So one or both of the sons had not been circumcised. God strikes Moses down with this great 
illness. Zipporah steps in and tries to pacify, tries to make atonement for, uh, tries to redeem Moses from this illness, this, this thing that looks like it's going to take his life. And she circumcises one of the boys and touches Moses' feet with him. And there's a bit of substitution there. There's a bit of a, a sacrifice involving blood that's made to restore Moses to right relationship with God. So it's very, very, honestly, it's very, very confusing. It's not explained in great detail, but there are just pieces of the puzzle there that point us towards another bit of substitutionary atonement, another bit of redemption through a blood sacrifice, another bit of the sick and needy being restored to right relationship with God through the actions of another. So it's a confusing little passage, but possibly more than anything in this chapter, it points us to the work of Jesus on the cross. At this point, it's probable uh, that Zipporah and the boys turned back. Uh, we read in chapter 18, verses 2 and 3, um, Jethro had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with the two sons. Uh, possible here that this is when they departed. Moses goes on to Egypt to do the work, so to speak. And as we continue in chapter 4, we see the Lord said to Aaron in verse 27, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he goes out and meet him, and he hugs him, and he kisses him. God said, look, didn't he back in this earlier in the chapter, you were going to meet Aaron, and um, he's going to be happy to see you. So they get together. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. And then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses. We've got that mouthpiece mechanism thing going. God tells Moses, Moses tells Aaron, Aaron tells the people. So in verse 30, Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses, did the signs in the sight of the people. In verse 31 is great. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. They didn't say, oh my gosh, it's about time. Where have you been for the last couple of centuries? They believed. They were given a testimony. They were given evidence to back that testimony up. They understand that it's personal. God had visited the people of Israel and he had seen their affliction. It's not some far off distant deity that they've been introduced to. This is, look, the Lord, the one true God, he has visited the, our people, the people, his people. And he'd seen that he's seen your affliction. He knows what you're going through. He's heard your prayers. And we're about to make a massive change. You're about to experience a monumental change in your circumstances. And their response is not to say, yeah, about time. Their response is to bow their heads and to worship. Next time then in Exodus chapter 5, we will look at Moses and Aaron's first interaction uh, with Pharaoh. But until then...
God bless.